edition of our journey through the book of Revelation, Unveiled Hope. Before we get rolling, of course, I know this is the content that you are here for. This is the Betamax mug, one of my personal favorites, although it's rather awkward for, for drinking because it's got such a large bulbous head here. This is, of course, Betamax from Big Hero 6. If you don't know who, who that is, then you don't get out often enough. Ask your kids or grandkids or what have you. We're all the way up to the seventh trumpet here in Revelation chapter 10, which I refer to as the strange Bible chapters for 100 Alex. It's about the angel and a scroll, and this is one we're going to read. It's a little shorter chapter. Um, let me read it. We'll pray. We'll dive in. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded, and when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Lord, um, give us clarity and insight and, um, and discernment as we come to your word this morning that you have spoken to your people and you haven't just given us rote, uh, written, systematic um, expositions of truth, but you've painted pictures for us. You've used poetry. You've used imagery to help it come alive to our souls. And I pray that it would indeed this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So imagine this and this vision that John is having. You have a man or an angel, or we'll talk about that in a second, so large that he can straddle the earth. He puts one foot on the sea, one foot on the land. Um, he's like Gulliver, uh, except he's even bigger than that. And, and of course, we have to ask, ask immediately, who, who is this angel? And let me tell you what I, let me give you the answer first and I'll tell you where, why I think this. I, I think he's, this is another reference to Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, remember the word angel means, means literally messenger. And I think that when you go back and look at Old Testament allusions in this particular section, John is drawing on this idea from Daniel 7, uh, the son of man who is coming on the clouds, okay? And so here we see verse 1, this is a, a messenger wrapped in a cloud. 
Um, this is also, I think, symbolic of Mount Sinai when God is delivering his law and there's pills of lightning and thunder. And, and I think that John's playing off all of those images to, to focus on this mighty man, this God man. And, and there's a, it's interesting, there is actually this, this, there's this emphasis on his feet <laughs> um, and on his legs. And of course, this would have been, again, hearkening back to Daniel and his visions of these mighty kingdoms. This is someone who has amazing sovereignty. This has um, amazing, someone who has amazing strength. His feet are like, and his legs are like pillars, sea and land. There is this overwhelming presence and authority and dominion and kingship. And we think about the, the song, you know, he has the whole world in his hands, right? Um, well, that's what John is giving us a picture of, that all the chaos and tumult that's happening, um, Jesus Christ is one who has dominion. So I think that's the first image. Well, then we have this second image of that um, he has a scroll in his hand, right? Um, and I think this is the same scroll from back in the throne room. It represents the decrees of God, um, God's redemptive will. And he's giving this scroll now um, to John, right? And he's telling him to eat it. Now, the, <laughs> um, thankfully, we have some Old Testament precedents. Ezekiel and Jeremiah are both examples of prophets who were told to eat the book or eat the scroll or eat the word of God. And I think this is symbolic of the idea that that these prophets were called upon to imbibe the very message, this prophetic message given to them by God. So in other words, it was such, it was so vital, it was coming from the word of, from the mouth of God, they wanted to imbibe it, take it into themselves. And what's interesting about this is that this is a, a dual thing. On one hand, there is a, a sweet taste to it, right? As there often, as there always is for for the word of God, it's a symbol of life, it's a symbol of nourishment. But at the same time, there is this bitterness to it. And, and I think that's, a, that's an acknowledgement that whenever we are m moving forth in ministry and life and sharing, living, carrying out the word of God in our life, there, for some, it will be a pleasing aroma, right? But for others, it will be the aroma, the stench of death. And so this bitterness, I think, symbolizes the idea that there's always a bitter aspect to the word of God when people don't heed its word. There's, there's judgment there. There's death there. Um, there's life for some, but there's judgment and death for others. And that's just important to remember. Um, when we are New Testament believers living on mission, caring forth, the gospel both in word and deed that we are going it's going to be sweetness on one hand okay to those who are um, alive those who are repenting those who are trusting Jesus sweetness to our own souls but yet there's a bitter aspect because it's it's judgment for those who don't turn it's it leaves this taste in our mouth of uh, there are some who don't heed the word of God and the counsel of God and they turn away from it and that's a that's a that's a that's a terrible thing it's a it's a sobering thing and so we just always have to keep those things as categories for ourselves as we are emulating um, 
being on mission and following Jesus in this way. So I think this is kind of what John is, is, is alluding to. Now, there's one final aspect of this trumpet, the seventh trumpet that, that we need to hone in on. And you'll notice, okay, that we actually don't know what the seventh trumpet is, okay? I mean, we know that it it's, involves the word of God and truth, but look at verse four. John is about to write, okay, when the seven thunders had sounded, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. So, so in a sense, we, this is not disclosed to us. We don't know the, the, the precise nature of what's involved in this seventh seal. Remember, the seventh seal is all of those circumstances and times that are happening around the final judgment when Christ returns. And it's, it's very reminiscent, I think, okay, of when Paul is ushered into, um, into heaven, um, he has this thorn in the flesh, and God ministers to him by his grace in 2 Corinthians, and Paul is begging God to take away this thorn in the flesh. God doesn't take it away. Jesus doesn't take it away, but he shows Paul this vision of heaven, um, but it's too wonderful. It's too overwhelming for Paul to write. It's, a, it's something that was just for Paul to see. Okay, and so there's a sense in which this is something just for John to see, and um, I can't help but think that that John might have um, Jesus's discourse about the end of the days, the Olivet discourse in Matthew 24 in mind. And, and let me read this passage. It's very. This is this is super pertinent for us who like scientific precision and research and want to know what things mean and we want to have certainty about every detail in our life but Jesus as he's talking about these end days in Matthew 24 36 right before he goes to the cross listen to this verse 36 chapter 24 of Matthew but concerning that day and hour no one knows not even the angels of heaven nor the son but the father only now that's a divine mystery how Jesus, the Son of God, um, in his humanity could have these things veiled to him. There were certain things even he didn't know about his second coming, um, but um, were part of the secret counsels of God um, and how that meshes with his divinity and his humanity. I mean, that's, that's mind-blowing. But here, I think, is the main point and something we want to take from this. Um, I think that the study of Revelation, particularly over the last 100, 150 years, has been full of what I would call um, hermeneutical hubris of, 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 of grand proclamations and assertions of certainty and um, precise predictions about the end times and charts and whole study Bibles that are committed to figuring out the end times and looking for different clues and what things mean in this book. And um, I, I, I think that one of the things we wanna say here is that the, 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 the longer we go in our Christian walk, the more we realize how speculative so much of that is and just honestly how so much of it was wrong and is wrong. Um, you know, we have entire fictional series books written to give us this precise timeline. And a lot of times that's how people think it's supposed to happen. And they're not really sure where in the word of God it says that. Um, but this is a reminder for us to have a humility 
okay, a hermeneutical humility about all of these things, remembering that if some of these mysteries were disclosed and hidden even from the Son of God, then who are we to say Jesus is coming back next year, or the Antichrist is walking around on the earth, or this is that, this is happening, that's happening. Remember the, the eschatological craze of the 70s uh, was full of this end times fervor, um, but as we saw, it, it, none of it came to pass in the way that people said it would come to pass, or people tried to relate political events or happenings to things in Revelation, and those things were proven to be wrong. And it goes to, 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 to remind us that those are not the most important things to come away from the book of Revelation with, right? The most important things to come away from this study with are certainty and hope about the victory of the church and the return of Christ who's going to set things aright. And so, so here, there is so much more of the emphasis on who we are called to be as the people of God today and the hope of what God is going to do tomorrow and in the future rather than idle speculation or having an unhealthy interest in how it's all going to work out. Because if the mysteries, many of these mysteries are hidden to Jesus and his humanity, well, of course they're hidden to us. And who knows what's wrapped up in this seventh trumpet that John can't record for us. Um, it's as if God's reminding us, little flock, just trust me. Um, you're, you know the most important things, okay? Trust in those, trust in me. Leave the rest at the table. Um, be expectant. Walk in faithfulness. Be obedient. Live every day as if it's your, your last day, spiritually speaking. But at the same time, um, don't get caught up. And we hear warnings about this, right, in, in the Olivet Discord. Jesus is over here, or this is happening, or that's happening. Be faithful. Keep your head down. Share the gospel. Pray. Trust in me. What a great call for us as God's people today, particularly as we look at the headlines, even on a morning like this, and see the tumult, the chaos, the things that are happening around us, the uncertainties. Well, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. All right, that's it for the Friday edition of our study through the book of Revelation. We are going to look at the two witnesses in Revelation 11 on Monday morning, same time, same station. Hope you join us. Let me pray. We'll be done. Lord, what a great reminder that you are God and we are not. You are infinite. We are finite. You are eternal. We are, we are created. And so because of that, um, we come to you. We bow the knee to you. We submit um, our thoughts and interpretations to you. And Lord, help us to walk away today with, a, with, with just a firm reminder that you are the sovereign king standing over the earth and that your word is going forth and that it is truly life for everyone who turns and believes in you. Lord, give us that encouragement and hope today. In your name we pray. Amen. Hope you guys have a great weekend. See you Monday.